Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to lead at any level. We had the privilege of speaking about this in an event hosted by Advancing Women in Technology a couple weeks ago in Nashville, which was a fantastic event. But this is one that applies no matter your level because the basic fundamentals are the same. The way you apply them just flexes depending on your level. Yes, and if we're honest, which if you know us by now, you know that's the one thing, well, one of many things we always are, there are some characteristics that tend to be more female-oriented that can get in the way of us being the leaders we're meant to be. So we're going to address these at the end, so just make sure you stay with us for that particular piece of information. Awesome. Okay, so let's get started with how to lead at any level. First thing, you need to believe you are a leader. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is a fundamental one because this is a mindset shift because leadership is really a practice, not a position. And if any of you guys are just sitting there scratching your head going, really? We have leadership positions at work. <laughs> just think about some of the leaders who have been in those positions and decide for yourself, are they good leaders or are they just kind of de facto leaders based on the fact that they're in those positions? And I think all of us could say that we have definitely experienced people who are in quote unquote leadership positions that aren't exactly good leaders. Amen. Right? And if you need a little bit more context for this, a story that I told at that event, which I think applies here, and I'll give you the guys the short version, is if you remember back when you were a kid and you were just maybe three years old, or maybe you have kids and you're seeing this happen right now in front of your eyes, they when they start forming their groups, there's like always a little kid leader, right? There's somebody yep. who emerges that either has like that charisma or has that something or there's some value associated with this little kid. Usually it's because he's the leader that gets everybody into trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love that one. You gotta love those kids. But there's like a de facto leader. It's not like the little three-year-old sat around and decided to have a little election of who's going to be the leader of their group. (laughs) Although it'd be so cute. It would be so cute. But like these leaders just naturally emerge, right? Because they have something of value that other people want. It's the same thing as you get older. When you get into high school and and even in middle school, we call these cliques. Now, you can say there's a hierarchy of cliques, but even within each clique, there's a natural leader that emerges. Somebody that has that thing that everybody wants to follow and that just kind of is the natural born decision maker for the group. Now, what happens when you get into the executive world or the corporate world, the agency world, or wherever the real world is for you, something really different happens. And That is, there's now a hierarchy, and the hierarchy defines who gets to be the leader. So what happens in the face of that, everybody who actually thought that they were a leader or thought that maybe they were emerging leaders sits back and saying, oh, well, I guess I don't get the lead until I get one of those positions, right? And so we defer our leadership to others, and then we kind of start feeling a little bit frustrated. We start feeling a little bit diminished. We start feeling like we're not exactly fulfilling everything that we were meant to do, And we start kind of feeling like maybe we're not making as much progress as we should. 
this is what we want to get away from. And this is what this whole episode is in pursuit of is that there's no magic in just saying you're a leader. It's like if you put on running shoes, you go out running, you're a runner. There's not a set amount of time you have to do it. There's not like a certain distance or a certain event that you have to run to say you're a runner. You are a runner. You're practicing running. It's the same thing. You get to practice leadership. You don't need strength finders to tell you you're a leader. You don't need to <laughs> check off an evaluation criteria. Like I said, you don't need a leadership role to announce that you're officially a leader. You just need to be in a position that you're going to declare that you are a leader. Now, you may not even believe this yet. Like you might be sitting there going, all right, and whatever. I feel like an imposter already. That's okay. That's what this whole episode's about. And we're going to talk through this. Yeah. And I love the analogy of the runner because I think it just makes it so crystal clear, right? And of course, personally, as a runner, I resonate with that analogy very much. But I think the point is the ideas that we put into our head about what quote unquote makes us a certain thing. And mm -hmm. the leadership one really is just so interesting because when Anne and I were talking about the event we were going to do and then this episode, I thought back and it was so clear in my head as I'm sure a lot of you are nodding along in this episode of being a little kid and having those moments in time where you see those leaders just emerge. Right. And then unfortunately, when you get into the office environment and, and you spoke a ton about having the title of leader, but I also think the other thing that makes it a struggle is just the inherent hierarchy in organizations. And right. so even organizations that profess to be flat are not ever actually flat, right? So you have all these different levels of folks. And I remember personally really struggling with this when I was coming into organizations as a brand new employee, but then also even as I would have tenure coming into new organizations and trying to establish that and working against that idea that until you have the quote unquote title, you don't get to do it. And so I think really declaring that you are a leader, you heard Anne say that this is really a mindset. It is something that you have to state and put out there and then keep reminding yourself of it as you're going through your day to day at work and then focusing on opportunities where you can inadvertently put yourself in positions without having to be nominated to lead, whether that's things like committees right. or within the peer group that you're hired with, or if you have a particular skill in one area that gives you the confidence to go and lead a new project or build a new practice or all of those types of things. I think spending some time on this point is just really important because if you can't get this one right and really in your brain firmly as a possibility, it's going to be really hard to move on from here. Yeah, I think all very, very good points. And if you can wrap your mind around that, and even just for this episode, just sit in it for right now, try yeah. it on and just see how it feels. It's going to help you see then, well, okay, Anne, April, I get it. Okay, I've declared I'm a leader. Now, now what? Like, now yep. what do I go to do? How do I practice it? And that's where the, these next steps are going to come in. Yep. So next step of how to lead at any level is you need to have a point of view or a POV. April. Yeah. So all leaders are guided by a philosophy, a set of values, a set of principles. They have their beliefs. These are things that they have defined as part of their leadership ability and also their leadership style, quite frankly. And so what they do is they really demonstrate conviction and consistency within this. So when I just made the comment about putting it clearly in your head, making the declaration, this is kind of that next step from there is, 
what's important to me? What type of leader am I going to be? And then stating it out there with conviction, but then also being really consistent so that people can start to see you in that role and also see what type of leader you're going to be in that role. Mm -hmm. But there are differences between sounding like a broken record that everybody just dismisses versus getting someone's actual attention and that believability. So that's kind of the point of this point, right, is to get you there. So the things that get attention, data, examples, test and learn strategies, Things that benefit the entire pie, not just your slice. Hopefully this is sounding familiar. This is something we've talked a lot about in other episodes and we speak about how the sum is greater than the parts that are contributing to the whole, right? So thinking about that bigger picture. Highly solutions oriented, providing options, providing case studies. These are all things that are levels of thinking, connecting the dots, bringing forth a level of sophistication to show a leadership style. The things that, on the other hand, get dismissed to the point that I said about sounding like a broken record is sandbagging, throwing darts, alienating, a.k.a. taking my ball and going (laughs) home, leaving the sandbox with my toys, all of those analogies, black and white scenarios. Unfortunately, folks, and much to my chagrin, we don't live in a black and white world. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of gray, and the more you rise in leadership, the more you're going to see the gray. Running your personal agenda versus working for that sum, as we talked about before, or just a complete lack of flexibility and believing that your way is the only way and everyone else can kind of take it or leave it. All of these are dangerous things to go and try if you want to be a leader. And then the final thing I'll say, and then I'll hand it back over to Anne, is as you shift from a doer to a manager, your point of view is also going to have to shift because This is where you have to get highly, highly strategic and start thinking about the business as a whole versus just that piece of a pie that you have traditionally owned. And that will help people to start to shift you in their own minds. And I will say this is one of the trickiest and most nuanced things that you have to do. If you're residing within the same organization and you're trying to rise in the ranks as well as exert your leadership, you really have to work hard and very diligently here within your own practice so that folks can stop seeing you as a quote-unquote junior member of the team and can see you in this more mature role and rising through the organization. Because like that hierarchy I said before that exists, those folks with more experience don't necessarily go away until they retire or, you know, and so they're still kind of, they have the mindset of when you first came. So you really have to be working at this and help them along. And therefore, again, the point of this episode. Yeah. And I think this is a really, really good point because having a POV is so super critical to being a leader. But a big question we always get, it's like, okay, I have a POV. Who do I tell it to? How often do I need to tell it? I tell it to a couple people. Then I get frustrated because I don't feel like it's being heard or I feel like it falls on deaf ears and then I start feeling disappointed or I feel resentful or I start feeling underappreciated, all of those sorts of things. And so the one thing that I've heard that I feel like really helps to really solidify how often you need to express your POV comes from, of course, Adam Grant. Oh, here we go. Yeah. I swear this is becoming a drinking game. How many times can Ann talk about Adam Grant per day? (laughs) Eventually, he's going (laughs) to ask me to be on his podcast. And uh-huh. when that happens, I'm going to say, see, I told you. So there's a strategy here. There's I got a strategy. It. But his book that I'm still reading, Originals, which I absolutely love, and I've said this before. It's a really good one. It's it really is. Very good one. He talks about original thought, which is 
like having a POV, especially a new POV. And what he says, and this is what the research says too, is that we tend to say our POVs or original thoughts 10 times less than what people need to hear them in order for them to be able to internalize them and adopt them. That's 10 times less. So if you've expressed your POV like once or twice and maybe to this person and that person, you are significantly underestimating the amount of times that people need to hear those POVs in order for them to adopt them, listen to them, internalize them, take action upon them. So before you get frustrated, disappointed, and all of those things, think about how you're expressing your POV, which goes back to the points that April was saying. Are you doing it in a way that is going to get traction or are you doing it in a way that's going to get dismissed? And then how often have you done that and how consistently are you articulating that POV so that it actually does get that traction that you're looking for? Yeah. And I think, too, if you think about the other side and you think about maybe the leaders that were in positions that didn't belong there, they feel like a moving target. And Mm -hmm. this is the reason why. So if you can think about it in terms of that and then the other side of what Ann just said, I think it makes it a little bit easier to understand Because we are bombarded by so many messages, right? And we've talked about this in terms of just any message a brand wants to put out there. People have to see it seven to ten times. It's not different within an organization because if you think we all have different roles, we have different teams, we're exposed to people different amounts of time. They may see you once and not see you again for another month. And so you don't want to be starting over and, you know, maybe a month's an exaggeration depending. But the idea is that You don't want to have to come from ground zero every time. So you have to get creative and find ways that people can hear or see or read the consistency with which you portray your message so that it becomes embedded in their expectation of the experience with you. And that goes to another point in Adam Grant's book, Originals. (laughs) Now you're going to do it just to make me mad. No, I'm not. (laughs) All joking aside, I mean, I've read the majority of his books as well, and he's really solid, super fantastic. So I joke, but I also reinforce the support. Which brings me now to my point. Sorry. Totally interrupted. (laughs) Which is you can't evoke change. You can't make change unless you have power. Yeah. And power is not about position. Again, power is about credibility, reputation. So if you want to be the squeaky wheel, if you want people to be able to really listen and internalize what you're saying. You have to build that reputation, that credibility, which again, is not about how high you rise. It's about how well you are able to substantiate your POVs. And that comes with all those things that April mentioned about how do you get your POV listened to. And so go back, re-listen to this point. If you're struggling with that point of traction and how do you gain that power, that power comes in being able to solidify a very clear and articulated and consistently reiterated POV. Yep. Okay. But make sure you back it up with the things that you need to back it up with, the data, the case studies, all of those things that help to substantiate your POV and help people to hear it in a way that has depth and understanding and has all of those things that you need in order to be able to sway people and influence people. Yeah, it's thought out and almost fact-based in certain ways. Well, fact-based, if it's, it requires facts, but at least has some level of experience, research, yeah. something that kind of demonstrates that you've thought through it and it's just not something that you're thinking about off the top of your head. Yeah, like it has the meat. Has the meat. I like that. Yeah. Has Look the at meat. me with the analogy. There we go. <laughs> Not one I would usually use, but hey. well, I was going to say, well, we went there. Okay. <laughs> has the meat. 
reminds me of Wendy's Arby's? Where's the Beef. Wendy, Wendy's, Wendy's Where's, the, where's beef? the Beef. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, it's Arby's We Have the Meat. Well, Arby's We Have the Meat or Wendy's Where's the Beef. I think Wendy's Where's the Beef. Wow, more all right. Fair. We have just totally digressed. Okay. okay. And it's completely my fault this time. Let's move on to the next point of how to lead at any level, which is you need to have followers. And this is a very, very important point because if you can't lead if nobody is following, and this is something I learned very early in my career, very ambitious engineer led Anne who wanted to take the world by storm at PNG and make <laughs> all kinds of things happen in this world. And when I turned around to see who was following me, there was nobody. And so when I went to my boss, I said, hey, where is everybody? And he said, Anne, I, I hate to tell you this, but they call you little Mussolini. <laughs> And so that was a really big aha moment for me. It's like, well, you know, leadership is not about dictating, which is what a lot of people want to believe. And that's why they want to wait till they get to those higher positions, because they're like, well, when I am at a higher position, I'm going to have all these people reporting into me. So therefore, they are by default followers or I can mandate that they follow me. But that's not what creates leadership. You guys, leadership is created by influencing others to follow you based on something that you're providing them of value that they also want to be a part of, okay? So this means you need to strategically roll others up, down, and across. And there's a really big art to this. It involves finding ways to build mutually beneficial relationships because we are all human and we need other humans to achieve our goals, dreams, and objectives. That's in life and that's in business. So therefore, you need to enroll others. And you need to do this by like what I just said, is you need to find a mutually beneficial value that they can get on board with. Anything else, you're forcing them or you're kind of conjoling them or they're doing it as a favor or you know something that you know, they're not totally invested in. So you need to really work to find that mutually beneficial value that's going to work. Now, there's ways of being able to do this. So here's a couple of suggestions for how do you, you enroll others up, down, and across. First, if you're going to enroll others that are above you, the big thing that bosses or management or leadership like is they like to look good. So if you can find a way to help them look good, that usually gets some traction. If you can demonstrate that this is going to make more money for them or the business or it's going to grow the business, that usually gets you traction. If you're going sideways, sideways is about the pie piece that April mentioned. This is, we're all in this together. This is going to benefit us all. This is where the pie is worth more than each of the individual pieces. And you can have shared reward, shared incentive. This is also where you can negotiate a quid pro quo. Hey, if you help me with this, I'll help you with what's important to you, right? So it's different than saying, hey, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me with no expectation of reciprocity? Reciprocity is the name of this business. Down, if you're trying to influence down, that's all about people underneath you kind of figuratively speaking, not literally speaking, wanting to build reputation, credibility, and visibility, right? They want to rise up. They want to be where you are. They want to have that exposure. Help them get those elements within the context of what your POV is, and you can kind of be able to generate followers from that. April, what do you have to say about this? Yeah, I just want to reiterate that this can be really hard. I mean, Ann and I are cut from a similar cloth, although our backgrounds are very different, and I remember being told that I was a hard charger, which was on one side really great. And on the other side, when it came to being patient for people to keep up and catch up, I was not doing such a great job. And luckily, that feedback was given to me at a point in my career before I had a team 
because I think it really benefited the way in which I thought about leadership moving forward versus managing other people. Leading other people is a very, very different thing. I also think that this is another one to sit and internalize because I think we don't always think about leadership through all of these different lenses that Anne outlined. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it's usually that we, based on the experiences we've had, we might do one or we might be aware of another one, but we don't think about the way in which we have to be in the driver's seat and really managing against these. And so I think you have to take a step back and look at the people that you're surrounded with every day And then identify the ones that are going to be most important to your goals or your leadership rise or whatever you want to call it. And then really work to make them your allies through this kind of roadmap that Mm -hmm. Anne outlined. And I really do think about it as a roadmap because I think it's something, again, we've said the word declare a few times during this episode, you have to identify those people and then you have to create a plan to how you're going to get there. And last thing I will say is for me, one of the hardest things to do was to rally around folks that I didn't necessarily personally see value in or who thought about things differently than I did. And so you've got to spend time getting to know people, first of all, giving them the benefit of the doubt, even though their way of doing things or their role in the organization may not be one that you want, but find a way to identify with them and connect with them. And that will really help you get them in your corner. I mean, I just, I can think of so many situations coming up where I resisted people just because I felt like we weren't aligned when if I had just worked to find commonalities, my path would have been a whole lot easier. So just kind of a a side note or a sub point to this whole conversation. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point about the dissenters and what do you do about the dissenters? Because we get that question a lot too. And I think, you know, you're not going to win everybody over, right? Not everybody's going to be on your side. Not everybody's going to agree with your point of view, but you don't want them to be a distraction or a negative and pull people away either. So Mm -hmm. the Probably your best case scenario, obviously, is to win them over, but your minimum, what you're trying to achieve is just to neutralize the dissension. Yep. Right? And, you know, that's the agree to disagree kind of point, but hey, can we at least get in the boat and row together? Can you at least, you know, not negatively, (laughs) like, detract from what I'm trying to do, even if you don't totally believe in it? Mm -hmm. Or is there a way that we can compromise on the way that we're going to approach this and respect each other's positions, but, you know, not be argumentative or not be combative about it as well? So, you have to have those conversations and they can be really hard to have because sometimes we're just like, well, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so are on my inside. It's okay if these three are not. And that is okay as long as you've had that discussion with those three. Because so, sometimes all they want to do is just be heard, mm-hmm. right? And so, and they want to be considered. And so they might, and they may have some really legitimate feedback for you that you should be listening to. So don't ignore the dissenters. It can be disastrous for leadership um, and disastrous for trying to get your POV uh, well, across. Well, and sometimes it may not even have anything to do with you specifically. Like I remember one time the crux of it was an issue between this person and someone else and they just viewed me as siding, quote unquote, with the other person Yeah, because we got along better and were philosophically better aligned. It really didn't have anything to do with me. And once I realized like, oh, it's not even about me, it made it a lot easier to go and forge a relationship that was more meaningful when I could take my emotions or my 
you know, I don't need that person, so I'm just going to keep moving along when, first of all, I kept running up against them. But then second of all, it was diagnosing the problem at an objective level and then digging in to be like, why does this keep happening to see that it was about someone else in in different situations that were long before me, not really about me personally. Yeah, people bring in baggage, lots of baggage to these things that may have nothing to do with you. So understand that too. Good point. All right. Our fourth point for how to lead at any level is to test and learn your leadership practice. Shocking. I know. April. (laughs) Yeah. So we love testing and learning. You hear it from us all the time. Leadership is the same. It isn't something you achieve and then you just kind of clap your hands together and you're like, whoa, I'm done. I get to coast. Rest Mm -hmm. of my career. I'm just going to sit in this and I get to lead. That is the mindset of being a leader that we've talked about before. And also just too much changes day to day that you're going to have to accommodate. So what changes? Well, you have new situations. There's new data back to the point of the the facts, new environments, new people, which means you're constantly going to have to be flexing your leadership style in order to accommodate. And this is really where that testing and learning comes in because Not all of the things that you have established at any point in time are going to work based on the next thing that comes onto Mm -hmm. your plate or into your purview or onto your team or, you know, whatever the case might be. The only consistent thing about the world, if I'm getting really philosophical, or the business world is that there's constant change. Right. And so in order to stay relevant, you have to stay on top of the constant change and continue to lean into the authenticity by which you have built your leadership style, but be flexible enough and don't fall into that pitfall of not being flexible that you can shift as things shift around you and in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So we said in the beginning that we were going to talk about some of the pitfalls that are really intrinsically tied to women in leadership. And these are things that we wish someone would have told us. So, The first one is that you can't be wrong or change your mind. It actually takes a lot of vulnerability to do this. Now, vulnerability can be something that women over-index in and do not appropriately manage. So hear me when I say that. But we do not believe that this is one of those cases because sticking to your guns when you're wrong will just ruin your reputation, quite frankly. It will undo all the good that you have done. And this is one of the points of flexibility There are plenty of ways to do this that do not seem wishy-washy. And really, the thing we will say here is don't let this lead into an inability to make a decision on the other side just to avoid being wrong. Share the risk, right? So you can say things like, normally, I would say we should do X, and you've probably heard that from me before. However, in this situation, and given this new data set, this new person, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this new client personality, some trend that's happening in the business, something the competitors did, ground it in something, bring it forth and say, in this instance, I think we need to instead go and do this. Mm -hmm. And typically, I think you get a lot of points for this because it shows your teams that they can also not have to be right all the time. It makes them less resistant to telling you when things go wrong. And it shows them that you're not perfect either. And so perfection is not what we're striving for. It's not achievable, first of all. But this is a place where you can stand in your power and say, this, you know, in this instance, I think we need to change course or do it differently than we would have done before. The second thing that women fall into as a pitfall is refusing to self-promote. 
and believing mm-hmm. that the work is going to stand for itself. I'm here to tell you right now the work does not stand for itself. Right. It just does not. You don't have to be constantly out there saying, I, 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 I did this, I did that, I did this thing. I, you know, all of it is mine. No one else helped. I'm, you know, on an island. I did all the work. Okay, I'm like being really facetious here, right? But, you know, I actually just had a coaching call yesterday with someone that said, again, female, I have a really hard time doing this. And it's because I'm motivated by the team. I don't want to be perceived to be selfish. And we run into this all the time with speaking engagements, coaching clients. There is an appropriate way to give your team credit, but also be very, very clear on what impact you had as a result of the situation within the team. So if you think about the sum is greater than each of the individual parts. What did your part play? And especially if you're a leader of a team, how did you lead that team to get the outcomes that you got to while acknowledging all the folks around you? And then the third one, and then I'm going to let Anne do some because I'm talking an awful lot here. Do not take feedback personally unless it's actually personal. Mm-hmm. As women, we make things personal. We make the work personal. We see it as a reflection of our worth as human beings. Yes, not as a reflection of the job that we are supposed to be doing separate of our from our worth as human beings. Right. And on one side, this means you've got to be able to hear feedback. It's also one of those reasons, unfortunately, that women don't help other women rise. They believe that there can only be one. And we've talked before about alpha female syndrome and the belief that you have to trudge the path that I did in order to get here. There can only be one of me. There's a scarcity mindset, yeah. all of these types of things. And it all comes down to this idea of taking feedback personally. The quicker that you can separate who you are and what you are worth as a human outside of your job versus the job that you are required to do and get to that objective space, the better. And I've given this example, but I'm going to give it again. Anne and I have this approach now because we have so much work on our plate all the time that we no longer qualify feedback. It's just feedback about the work and it, it goes in and we have aligned that any feedback is meant to make the work better and to bring each of our unique perspectives, agency versus corporate, to the work that we are doing as well as the things that we are uniquely good at and where we need feedback from each other. Another team member got in one of the documents and saw the way that Ian and I communicate back and forth with each other and was like, ouch, I'm not sure I could do that every day. (laughs) And I went back and read and I chuckled because I could totally see how he saw that, right? But when I thought about it, I thought, well, that's because we've gotten to this point where we don't take any of it personally because we know that all we're trying to do is get to the best work as fast as possible. And it's really the only way for us to survive is the only two owners of the business. We have to get the work done on behalf of our clients and do it really well. And that's the only way we can get there. So just an anecdote about not taking things too personally. Yep. I like that. And so I'll pick up from here too. So the next one is let empathy erode your reputation. Oh, yes. So women, unless you're me, um, can tend to over-index in this characteristic. I happen not to be an overly (laughs) empathetic person, so I have to lean a little bit more the other way. But in general, um, we tend to feel emotionally connected to the people that we are in work with. And we feel for them when they have problems, trials, tribulations. And if that gets in the way of the work, we tend to excuse some of their behavior because we feel bad for them. Oh, I'm sorry. Johnny was really, really sick last night, so I didn't get to that presentation that I promised I was going to have to you by first thing this morning. 
oh, well, okay, I get it. I mean, oh, poor Johnny. How's Johnny doing? Is Johnny okay? You can definitely ask how Johnny is doing, but it is not okay that the presentation is not delivered on time, right? That is a hard no. Sorry, that is not okay. That does have consequences. I'm not saying that you're going to instill the consequences, but there definitely has to be discussion about what was the consequences, what was the repercussions of that. And then you need to appropriately plan and you need to be able to have that expectation next time that those things could come up and then actually maybe adjust the timelines or compensate for those kinds of behaviors. But the the biggest thing here is that if you start doing that, people are going to start realizing that your timelines, your goals, your objectives are kind of wishy-washy, right? So if you don't want to impact your credibility and reputation, you have to stand more firm, right? So you can't let everything that's going on around you be some excuse for why things are not getting done. The next one is we don't leverage relationships. And this is one that sounds a little bit weird, but it is In fact, if you kind of observe it a bit true, and this is because women tend to be more relational in nature. So when we go out into the business world, just like we would in our personal world, we're about making friends. We want to make friends. We want to be liked, right? We want to have people to go out to lunch with. We want to have people to go out with work with. I mean, these become people that we are together with for a very, very long time. And so, of course, they become like our work family That is fantastic if you want to make friends. We're not saying you shouldn't make friends. But when friends get in the way of being able to leverage the relationships for the benefits of you in the business, that becomes a problem. And that doesn't mean taking advantage of people. But if you think about like your men colleagues and you see the way that they operate amongst each other, they are always doing that quid pro quo like we talked about. They're always saying, hey, dude, help me out here and and I'll help you out here. I mean, that is just a common way that things actually work in the male-dominated environment. And sometimes as women, we sit back and we watch it and we call it the boys club. And we call it like, you know, we see it and they're like, oh, those guys are just out for themselves. Well, of course they're out for themselves. (laughs) Who else would they be out there for? I mean, we all love our businesses. We all love our companies. But at the end of the day, it's about us, all right? So you have to own that and you have to be able to use that as an opportunity to create some value exchange for people. Again, not to take advantage of people or run your own agenda or and just to kind of, you know, use them and, and then lose them, but in a way that actually builds mutual value, right? So find those ways that can help you do that. The last point I'll make here is that when we all think about our personal brand, we, we kind of think about things that we feel like our characteristics are naturally suited for and things that they're not naturally suited for. I would say, and I think April would agree with me, to go back and actually look at your personal brand and become very aware of what characteristics are going to be working for you and what characteristics will be working against you. We all have these in some levels, right? Some of these were like, nope, I got this. Some of these like, ooh, yeah, that kind of like, that that hits me. And what happens is then if, if they become a mantra that we have in our head, it, they reflect then how we show up to others. And that impacts the way that we're able to then pursue our leadership styles or pursue our leadership mission and goals there. So go back and reflect upon your personal brand. That will help you to get a sense of where you rate on these. Or if there's others that might be there that we didn't even mention, these are only a few that we've seen that are consistent that may be plaguing you from being able to show up as the leader you want to show up to be. Yeah, I think um, the one thing that I just want to go back to for a minute is the leveraging relationships piece, because this has been something that I have always struggled with. 
And for me, it comes to life more in bringing all my people together from different facets mm-hmm. of my life. And so on one hand, I always do a fairly good job, I would say, of bringing along a handful of folks from every job, every phase of life, all of those different types of things. But when it came to forthright people and specifically forthright women and bringing together a lot of like-minded folks, my network was prime for that. However, it was really nerve-wracking for me to bring them together and introduce them to each other. And I just had these like really irrational thoughts of what if they don't like each other? What if they don't get along with each other and then do I have to pick sides and all the like these crazy thoughts went through my head when in reality what happened is because we're all like-minded women, guess what? We actually got along great and the relationships have really thrived and people were able to have very real conversations with each other in very short order. Now, some of that is the structure Anne and I built around forthright women and I don't want to say it's not the work that we did, but I just use that as an example to say we all have some, in my case, neuroses around some of these different things and I think that's just one where you have to start thinking about it as making the relationships richer or stronger or introducing people to other people that will make their lives richer or stronger mm-hmm. instead of worrying about what is going to happen when you put them in the room together. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And I, I, I will broaden that to the context because I think this is the one that becomes a really big sticking point for people is that I mean, you wouldn't give away your products for free. Right. Right. Even though you put so much love and you put so much effort into doing those, you're not going to be like, hey, have everything that we made for free. Right. You expect some value reciprocity and the value in that case is for them to buy it. And so it's kind of a similar thing with relationships. It doesn't have to be a dirty thing. It doesn't have to be a sleazy thing. But if you're trying to create value and that's where it's coming from and what you're motivations are are founded in something that is going to be beneficial for yourself and other folks, people are probably going to want to participate in that. That becomes something that people then share and, and it drives community. So don't be afraid of wanting to ask people for things in mm-hmm. order to move a point of view forward because it could be beneficial to everybody. So I think that was a really, really good point. All right. In our final segment, where we highlight companies or brands may or may not be using their marketing smarts and may or may not have anything to do with this today's episode. Um, well, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Always the challenge. Yeah. We'll see how I, I weave this one. All right. So who I'm going to talk about today is Prezi. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Very recent experience. Very recent experience. And the, the, the jury's still out because we haven't formally used it yet in an execution, but I've been playing with it now for the last several weeks. And Prezi is a presentation platform. It allows you to create different kinds of presentation. It has a lot of ways of making your presentations more dynamic to make it more interesting. But it's also a platform now that you can use on Zoom or any of the other virtual meeting platforms to make your presentations more engaging. And one of the biggest features is you can have your presentation next to you as you're speaking. So it's not on a different like space and it's not like you're not on a little like window up above or something like you're, you're like right next to your presentation or the presentation is actually integrated over you, which is another interesting feature. But what I think this does so well and what I feel like the insight that's so brilliant about this is as we're talking about all the ways that 
hybrid work environments and virtual work environments have changed the way that we do business and the way that we foster things like creativity and brainstorming, we sometimes get stuck in the way that it kind of shows up in this virtual platform. And the idea of having your deck in one place and you in the other kind of is disjointed, even though a lot of times that's what happens in a meeting room anyway. But what this thing does so brilliantly and the insight they brought in was that when you put yourself next to your presentation, people can see in one snapshot the emotion behind you presenting those slides. So they don't lose the voice inflections. They don't lose the body language and and the eye contact and all of those things that are very important when you're presenting in order to keep people engaged and the dynamicism of the presentation of the deck it starts to kind of feel a little bit more like it would in a natural, like personal environment. So I feel like they've done that very, very well. We're going to try it out in our program that's coming up here and seeing how it works uh, with folks. It also has some really nice features for your notes and all those sorts of things. And, but I'm not going to get into all of that. But what I wanted to just say is that, you know, harnessing that insight of being able to make it more like more connected to you and being able to make it feel like it's, more integrated like it is in person is a brilliant marketing insight that I think these guys have brought to the table. And I think because of that, they are leading the industry. (laughs) See, I did it Um, in terms of that. But that all being said, you have to use the platform. I've tried, for some reason, the Zoom add-in isn't working very well. You can't import your slides. But in the actual platform itself, you can import your slides and then you can transfer it over to a Zoom call. Or whatever meetings or teams or whatever you're, you're in. Yeah, I think it is a really good one. And bless Anne for doing the legwork on these types of things because I have no patience for them. But I do feel like so much since Zoom was invented, like on one side, people are like, I can't believe that it's only been, what, two, three years since Zoom came to be. But on the the complaint side, it's always I just feel like I'm a tiny box on the screen, not a human being. And my first reaction when you opened up Prezi to show me was, holy cow, you can actually be yourself more. And so I feel like it will allow us to automatically be more of a three-dimensional person, as weird as that sounds, to our clients, many of who are virtual and we won't see them in person because they're far away and whatever. Um, So I, I... wholeheartedly agree and I think it, it looks nice it doesn't look contrived and weird yeah um it feels like the most natural version I've seen yet so I, I would agree all right awesome all right so just to recap how to lead at any level you need to believe you are a leader leadership is a practice not a position you need to have a POV leaders are guided by philosophy values principles beliefs that they have defined they demonstrate conviction and consistency in these Number three, you need to have followers. You can't be a leader if nobody is following. Strategically enroll others up, down, and across. And finally, test and learn your leadership practice. Leadership isn't something you achieve and then you get to coast. That is the position mindset. Too much changes every day. There's new data, new situations, new environments, new people, which means you will need to flex your leadership style to accommodate and particularly watch for the pitfalls. Being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day which is why we offer individual group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.